Never ever been asked to do something you really didn't want to do? I know I have many times. Uh, I can remember on one particular occasion, my dad asked me to get on my bike and run up to the corner gas station to get him something. And I really didn't want to go, and I really told him how I didn't really want to go. Um, just as I was explaining to my dad how I really didn't want to go up there, I hear this. Only to turn around and right there open the door to have my pastor standing there. Wow. And in those days, pastors were like, whoa, the giant and everyone else is down here. The respect that I had for my pastor was just incredible. And to this day, he just retired at like 75, uh, just like a couple months ago. And I just, I can remember just turning around and standing in awe. And it's like, what went through my mind is he heard everything. And then he looks at me. He says, Kenny, did your dad just ask you to do something? And did I hear you tell him no? Have you ever heard the phrase, can you sit on a dime and dangle your feet? I was so embarrassed. I got on my bike and rode to the gas station as fast as I could. I think I made record time. Albeit not because I had a heart of obedience, but because I was confronted with my sinfulness. In the passage we're about to look at, there is a story about a man who was asked to do something. Something he really didn't want to do. And hesitantly, he did it anyway. And God blessed him. Maybe you've been there, or maybe you find yourself there still, sinfully hesitating in disobedience. I trust and pray this morning that we would all develop a mindset of obedience. A mindset that does not hesitate to do what God asks us to do when He tells us to do it. Well, let's look at the story. If you would, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Um, I told my wife last night as we were sitting there and getting ready for bed is that I can't get this phrase out of my mind. I have to preach on it tomorrow. Uh, as I was sitting there, it's not what I had anticipated, but the phrase just would not get out of my mind. And so God works that way sometimes and has us change the message of where we want to go. And this is one of those days. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I want to go ahead and read the passage and then we'll look to the Lord in prayer just for a moment. So as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats which belonged to Simon and asked him to put out a little from land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked all hard all through the night long and caught all night long and caught nothing. But at your words, listen to those words, but at your words. One more time. But at your words. Get that in our minds. I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. 
they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of the fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. And I pray, God, that you would remove any doubt, any hint, any hesitation that would uh, be in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we may follow in complete obedience to what you have for us. And I ask, God, that you would once again work in our hearts in a way that is obvious that you are doing it. And we'll give you the praise and the glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You get the idea in this picture. I would have loved to, I would have loved to have been there and to observe this story firsthand. To actually hear Jesus teaching and preaching and the people gathering in. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But to see what God was about to do. So Jesus was standing by the lake Gennesaret teaching and the crowds were drawing closer and closer to him. In fact, the Bible says that the crowd was pressing in on him to hear God's word. That to me is interesting in and of itself. I, I've been to very few places where God's people are just, and they're just following in on it because they can't get enough. One of those places was when I was in India, and I, I'll never forget as long as I live, how we were sitting there teaching, and I'm up in front of the people, and uh, every time I told them to turn to a passage, they would write underneath that passage where I told them to turn to. And then when they get to the other passage, they would write in that verse where they came from. They were making their own cross-references. And it was amazing to me, because I, as I sat there, and you have to remember, in India, you're speaking through an interpreter. So I'm preaching for 30 minutes, and then there's 30 minutes of interpretation. And then, you know, notice that they've been sitting on the floor. No seats, no padded pews. They're sitting on the floor, and, and, and they're going like this and they're saying keep going keep going so another 30 minutes and another 30 minutes of interpretation they've been sitting on the floor for two hours and they're going like this and a third time and another 30 minutes and three hours on the floor and a fourth time and we did it and finally the interpreter says no more i can't talk anymore they were thirsty for the word and here's the scenario. They were coming and they were watching Jesus and they're coming in, they're pressing in, and it's almost as if you can see it in your mind's eye. Jesus is, is a little ways offshore and as they're pressing in around Him, He's got to back up and He's got to back up and they're coming in and they want to hear the Word of God. They're hungry for it. And for whatever reason, Jesus is also, I think He turns around and He's like at the water. Oh, here's a couple boats. And He gets into one of them belonging to Peter and has Peter push Him out a little ways just to have some distance. But the crowd is pressing in. In fact, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell us what Jesus was even preaching or teaching. No, only that the crowd was eager to hear what He was teaching. So He steps into this boat. Has Peter slip him out a little ways. And He continues to teach for a period of time. But as Jesus finishes His teaching and, his, and He summons Peter to launch the boat out into deeper waters and cast his net for a catch. But I think this is where the story gets really, really interesting. In fact, I think this is where it takes on real-life challenge. This is where it takes on real-life challenge. You notice the circumstance, and simultaneously, let me jog your memory just for a moment, 
about a passage we looked at two weeks ago in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 28. Do you recall the however, quote unquote? God had already said, go out and check out the land that I am giving to you. And they went and they checked it out and they said, wow, this is an awesome land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. This is a land that produces incredible fruit. In fact, here's a cluster of grapes that's that's, uh, tied to the staff and it's between two shoulders and they had to carry it out. And it was an awesome land. It was a beautiful land. It was a land with fertile ground. However, the focal point of the message was taking God at His word. And here's another one of those moments where a choice has to be made to take God at His Word. And like I said, this is where the story takes real life challenge. In Numbers 13, there were fortified cities, great walls, and giants. But I want you to know five observations from the story this morning. First of all, I want you to notice Peter's circumstances. Notice Peter's circumstances. And before I get any further, let me just say this. Just like there are always however, there are always circumstances. I mean, if life were easy, if everything that God told us to do were easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's not always easy. Sometimes following God is difficult. Sometimes following God is really, really hard. Because we don't trust Him like we ought. There's always going to be circumstances. But here's what I found out in life. Is that every time there are circumstances, God didn't wake up that morning, scratch his head and say, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. I mean, think about it. When God sent the disciples, or Jesus sent the disciples on the other side of the, of the sea, did he know that the storm was going to come? Yes or no? Of course he did. Well, you know this storm, I, I know, I'm, I'm really debating. I don't know... God, what do you think? Should I send the disciples out? There's going to be a storm out there. I'm, um, uh. God knows everything. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows what the circumstances are going to be. And yet He tells us to go anyway. And we have a choice to make. This is where a real life challenge takes place. Am I going to overlook the circumstances and understand that God knows Or am I going to kind of shudder in fear and just say, well, I don't think I'll do anything. I'm just going to sit here and miss out on God doing something great. (coughs) There are circumstances. And I think there are two circumstances in the story that are very obvious. Look at verse 5. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long. There's the first circumstance. They have already worked all night long. They're tired. They're exhausted. And I don't know, but I can't imagine that fishing was a whole lot easier then than it is today. I can't imagine that putting the nets out in the water and hurrying up and waiting was a whole lot of fun. I can't imagine that the nets were real light and just kind of nice package those systems that you just kind of unroll and just, okay, fishy, come on in. It was work. And they had worked all night long. All night long. And I'm certain of the day and the time period that it took place, they weren't sleeping all day long. And then working all night long. They were up. They were exhausted. They were tired. There's the first circumstance. 
The second circumstance is the most glaringly obvious one. They caught nothing. Now think about that in the Greek language. You know what nothing means? Nothing. And I don't know about you, but when you go fishing and catch nothing, it's not real exciting. And that they had worked all night long, and then they're going to go out and do this more? Uh, no, I'm not really interested in doing that. The circumstances were obvious. Uh, let me just kind of give you a, a little bit of a practical application of this. I'm good just for a moment. God says, I want you to talk to your friend about me. And we reply, I've done that before, and they didn't listen, or they got upset with me. Circumstances that are real? Sure. Nobody can deny that. Well, God says, I want you to teach a class. And we reply, well, I'm not too good at teaching, or I don't have time to prepare for that. God says, I want you to tithe. I want you to give regularly. And we reply, I have too many bills and financial obligations. I just don't have enough. But notice how Peter replied. Verse 5. But at your word, I'll let down the net. I'll let down the net. What I find in my own life is that every day, God blesses us with opportunities to take Him at His Word. Every day. Did you catch that? God blesses us. He blesses us with opportunities to take Him at His Word. Every day we have a new day. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us what? Rejoice and be glad in it. We have another day to breathe, to live, to think, to go forward. He blesses us every day with opportunities to take Him at His Word. So you notice there's circumstances. There are always circumstances. And Peter's regard for Jesus. But at your word. But at your word. I'll cast out the nets. And number three. Notice the blessings of Peter's obedience. We see this in verses 6 and 7. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and the nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I mean, think about this just for a moment. Can you imagine being there? I mean, think about this. <clears throat> Here's these boats, and I can only imagine in my mind what these boats might have looked like. But they weren't big, huge fishing vessels. These things were not, you know, monster paper, uh, uh, paper, or what do they call the clipper ships. They, they, I mean, these are boats. I grew up going fishing in, in Minnesota on, on, in the land of 10,000 lakes, half of which are ponds and puddles, but, you know, these lakes that we grew up on. My dad had an 18-foot Lund with a 40-horse Evinrude, and we went fishing off and on growing up. 
But I can only imagine. On a good day, we'd catch a handful of fish. On a good day, I remember going with Guy Fram and going on Kuka Lake, and on a good day, we caught about seven fish. And they were nice-looking fish. But can you imagine? I mean, think about this in your mind's eye. Either you take God at His Word and you believe what His Word is true, or you don't. But I have to believe that what God's Word says is true. They caught so many fish that the boats start getting... And they start to sink. And they're calling in their buddies from shore. And they're coming in, they're calling their friends. And the, rip, the nets are beginning to rip. And they don't know what to do. I mean, the blessing of God is just starting to pour on in their lives. And, and they're starting to see God at work. God doing what only He could do. The blessing's unbelievable. Great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. And they're sitting there going, Hey guys, we need your help. Come on in. <coughs> number four. I want you to notice Peter's shame. Notice the circumstances. Notice Peter's regard for Jesus. Notice the blessing of Peter's obedience. And number four. Notice Peter's shame. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. I think Peter, for a moment, acknowledges the situation for what it really was. Sin. How often in our own lives do we catch ourselves in the same circumstance that Peter is in? I'm tired. I've worked all night. I think Peter was embarrassed. I think he felt ashamed that he really didn't believe what was going to happen. And by the way, in those circumstances, you and I would have been embarrassed too. I think you and I, if we were sitting there in Peter's sandals. And Jesus said, I want you to go out and put the nets back into the water. I don't think we would have wanted to do it. I don't think we would. I know me. What was taking place in that moment? They were done, quote-unquote, fishing. The night was over. In fact, God's Word tells us that the other fishermen were away doing what? Washing the nets, putting them away for the next trip. Take them back out? Well, that's not normal. We usually fish at night, Lord. Just do what I say. Cast out a load deeper and put the nets out again. I think Peter acknowledged his situation by his very words, you see his shame. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. In 1 John, it tells us, in the phraseology of, of, of the verse, that we, be not, that we have confidence at the Lord's appearing. How do we have confidence at God's appearing? How can any of us 
have confidence at the Lord's appearing? I think there's only one way. Obedience. Obedience. When we do what's right, I've shared this illustration in the past. It's, it's, a, it's a simple illustration, but let me illustrate it. We go away for a weekend. And we tell our children, don't have anyone in the house. We're, we're leaving, it's Thursday night, we'll be back Saturday evening, but we don't want you to have anyone in the house. Just kind of sit tight, we'll be back, we got to make this trip, we'll be back. Nobody is to come in the house. Well, Thursday night, you know, it's, everything's okay, they're watching you know, a couple Hallmark movies and everything's fine. And you, Right, you caught that. They're just having a blast. Friday morning, they wake up. Say, man, yeah, it's up kind of late. Had all that popcorn with the Hallmark movie and think maybe I'll just watch some more Hallmark. <laughs> but they're just, you get the idea, they're just kind of chilling around the house. Friday evening, friends start to call. Hey, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm just kind of hanging out at the house. Well, what are you doing that for? Uh, Mom and dad are gone and I just gotta, just gotta hang out here and Oh, maybe I'll stop by. Well, you know, I get, I, you know, um, and then his mind's thinking. Well, mom, dad did say not to have anyone over. Um, oh, come on, I'm just gonna just stop for a few minutes. I'm gonna stop by just for a few minutes. So Johnny pops in, and you know they're just sitting there, just kind of chilling. One's in the lazy boy, the other one's in the couch, and there just happens to be a ball on the floor. I mean, what are you supposed to do with the ball? They sit there and they toss back and forth, toss back and forth, and toss back and forth. They're starting to have fun, you know. I mean, they've been bored. My mom and dad's been gone for a day and a half. I'm I'm bored, and boom. Next thing you know, it goes off the hand and hits the vase and cracks it. Oh, shoot. Mm. Wow. What goes through the mind of of the kid at that point? Mom and dad are going to be home. I'm going to have to give an answer as to why I broke this item. And they told me I wasn't supposed to have anyone over. Saturday night's coming. When mom and dad get there, is there confidence as they stand before the parents? Or is there shame? Why? Because they knew what they were supposed to do, but they didn't do it. It's kind of the scenario. There's shame. There's embarrassment. Because Jesus said to do something and he really didn't want to do it. He really didn't want to take and put the nets back in the water. I'm sure he was tired. He didn't want to push out any deeper again. Peter was embarrassed. I think as you and I would be. But notice number five. Notice Peter's loving kindness received from his Lord. Look at verse 10. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told them. From now on, you will be catching people. Look at that first phrase. Don't be afraid. 
He's feeling worthless. He's feeling like that. I think at this moment, you can sit on a dime and dangle your feet. That moment, that that feeling, embarrassment, and Jesus just simply looks at him and says, "Don't be afraid." Wow, think about that. Don't be afraid. And Jesus told Simon, from now on you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land and left everything and followed him. What I see in this passage is this. God is a God of mercy and grace and compassion and patience and loving kindness. I'm thankful for that. Because I think, at least for me, I can see Peter in me. There's times that God has asked me to do something and I am hesitant. For whatever reason. For whatever circumstance. You fill in the blank. Because you're in the same boat I'm in. You're impatient. You're tired. You're frustrated. You can't see the result in your head, so it's not going to work, so I don't want to do it. Fill in the blank. But for whatever reason, you just really don't want to do it. And yet God is a God of mercy and grace and compassion, patience, loving kindness. And that's what he bestowed upon Peter in that moment. I need that. I need that reminder. I too often operate in the flesh. I go by what I can see, even though God's Word reminds us not to walk by sight, but to walk by faith. In conclusion, let me give you three thoughts. It's never too late to do right. And here's the thing. We can analyze the entire story as we've done to some extent. We can observe all the little details of it. But here's what I want you to notice. He did it. He says, but at your word, even though he was hesitant, he did it. What is God asking you to do that you're hesitant to do? You may not see the outcome. You may not see what God's going to try to do through the circumstance. But are you willing to do it? Even though he was hesitant, he did it. That's awesome. He did it. Too easy for all of us to just give in to the circumstance, the difficulty of the moment, and say, you know what? I'll leave that for someone else and I'll just kind of go my way. I'll let someone else teach. I'll let somebody else share Jesus. I'll let somebody else give towards the needs of the church. I'll let somebody else take up that responsibility. And God is saying, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. Jesus could have in that moment said, Hey, all you fishermen, hey, don't, oh, don't put everything away yet. 
But you know, in the story, he didn't do that. He said, Peter. If he would have wanted everyone else, he would have called for everyone else. He wanted Peter. And sometimes God challenges you, and you alone, to do something. And we want to push that responsibility on someone else. When God has challenged you to do it. He did it. It's never too late to do what's right. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he said, To obey, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better. Catch that phrase. To obey is better. God wants our obedience. Number two, God knows what we cannot see. In Jeremiah 29, we talked about that earlier in the year. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. God knows what we cannot see. And we have to be confident in the fact that what He starts, He finishes. He's a completer. Philippians 1.6 And it's His greatest joy, 2 Chronicles 14, I'm sorry, chapter 16, to have His strength, His abilities, His ability to work through us. That's His desire. He wants to show Himself strong through us. If we'll let Him. God knows what we cannot see. And number three, our obedience demonstrates our love for God. How do I know that? John 14, verse 15 and verse 21. Twice He says, If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. They who keep My commandments, it is they who love Me. Our obedience demonstrates our love for God. Do I doubt Peter's love for God? No. Do I doubt his humanness? No. Because <laughs> in his flesh, he was weak, just like you and I. But he demonstrated his love through his obedience. It's really easy to get down on Peter, isn't it? Peter had open mouth insert foot syndrome. I can relate. Um... Yeah, I won't go any further on that. But the bottom line is, I understand Peter. I think we live there sometimes. And I think you do too. All of us do. I love this though. Is it that God just wanted to work through Jesus to show Peter that he is just a miraculous miracle maker? An incredible miracle giver? I think there's something more to it than that. I think God had bigger plans than just giving them a boatload of fish. I know that is pretty cool. I mean, can you imagine the sight? Two boats going down in the water because they're just filled with fish. I mean, that would have been in and of itself an awesome sight. But I don't think that's the big issue. I think the bigger issue is that God wanted to show Himself strong, number one, and number two, God was trying to show Peter that, listen, I've got a bigger task for you than being a fisherman. I have something greater for you than just this. So you got fish. Okay, you're good now. Let's not get into the real business here. And he shares just a little bit of that. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land. And get this next last phrase here. They left some of the fish 
They left some of the boats. They left off the equipment. What did they leave? Everything. They left everything. And did what? Followed. You see, that's where God wants us to live. It's pretty awesome that the fish were caught. I'm sure it met a lot of needs. Probably put some denarii in their pocket, who knows? Whatever the word was. They got a little bit of shingles from it. But that's all minor. And not shingles, jingles. They single always says jingles. Quit laughing at me. <laughs> got their pockets jingling with some coins, right? But that wasn't the big issue. The big issue is God brought them to a place of obedience where they could see that, hey, you can trust me. You can trust me. All of us need to get there. All of us need to get to that place where we remove every hint of hesitation and just simply say, God, I trust you. I don't know how God will do that in your life. I don't know when he'll do that in your life. But I know that that's his desire. Let's get the big picture. Think about it. What does God want to do in your life? What is it that God is trying to get your attention to accomplish? As I said, there will always be circumstances. No matter where you live, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, there will always be extenuating circumstances. It's part of life. And we can make excuses. I'm tired. I've already put the equipment away. I've got other things to do. Let someone else do it. Whatever it is, there will always be circumstances. But God wants our obedience. And the question is, will we, out of a heart of love, do what he asks us to do? Or will we go on living in the flesh? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we